Hello, this is Stephanie. And this is Brian. Welcome to the making and the remaking of a codependent mind. This time we're going to expand on a few other things we touched on related to relationships. Particularly, we're calling back to the episode on, I think we called it... Dependence. Dependence, codependence, and interdependence. Mm -hmm. And we ended up spending the bulk of time in that episode talking about dependence and codependency. And we touched on interdependence, but I th- this one we're going to kind of expand on what we mean by interdependence and what we think that looks like in a relationship, a healthy interdependence and what it means to us in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Both because it's super important for, for uh, relationships to be sustainable, but it's also something that's particularly challenging for people with codependent behaviors. I think you're right. When I say reading codependency discussion boards, there seems to be a real confusion as to what it means to not be dependent in a relationship, not Mm -hmm. be codependent in a relationship, but also not just every man for themselves. Yeah, right. Swing the other direction. Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about this idea of interdependence, which could also be understood or characterized as mutual dependence, this mutuality, which is an important feature of human social life. We share a planet, we share a country, we share a community, we share a home. There's there's various levels of mutual dependence. There's this article that I read about interdependence or mutual dependence in an evolutionary context that explores the concept of mutual dependence in terms of our success, evolutionary success as a species. I'll link to it in the show notes. But okay. one particular thing I liked about it was it had a, a nice graphic that was trying to illustrate what mutual dependence looks like or interdependence looks like. And it was a Ferris wheel. Okay. Uh-huh. If there are two people in a Ferris wheel car, they are representing interdependence. Whereas maybe you have a, a car that only has one person and that's independent. And then maybe people standing not even on the Ferris wheel, they're not even getting to participate. That's a good image, yeah. So what's nice about it is that we rise and fall together. Ah, uh-huh, okay. So it's not enmeshment. It's not two people being completely... Reliant on each other. Right. There's still two people. There's still yeah. distinct individuals yeah. in the Ferris wheel, but they're they're sharing the same larger fate and and their fates and again they rise and fall together so well, this what, is assuming sorry this is this is assuming they both chose to get in the ferris wheel car to begin with too but <laughs> well i mean sometimes especially over the course of evolution you don't have that choice but yes we're, we're talking about if we're going to use that as, as metaphor metaphor for relationships whether mm-hmm. whether romantic or otherwise yeah you get you choose to to get in the car but you remain separate individuals but you're you're deciding to merge your larger fate with this person. I like that. So it's in some ways the opposite of enmeshment. It's maintaining distinctness within a shared environment. Really quickly, how would you describe what enmeshment is? I mean, because I've heard that word a lot and and I could picture what it is, but in this context, I think it'd be helpful to to hear kind of a more traditional explanation of what, what that means. It's used to describe relationships or family systems where there is a lack of acknowledgement of personal boundaries. There's very little autonomy between the people where 
the other person's needs, wants, and desires override your own needs and wants and desires. It can kind of go both ways. <laughs> where you, sure. Yeah. Right. You're, you're just, you're hyper attuned to what the other person is feeling to the extent that you can't recognize or acknowledge or act on your own feelings or desires. There's no sense of, again, boundary between you and the other person and the other person perhaps as well thinks there's no, no sense of boundary between you and the other person. So you were in a way in, in your relationships with narcissists were enmeshed. Well, and while you were describing that, you were basically also describing codependency to some extent. As we say, it's it's, it's acknowledging others' feelings and needs to the exclusion of your own. I, I mean, it's, it's codependency at the core. I guess that's what we were saying earlier, that people with codependent behaviors can struggle to feel connected to other people without being feel enmeshed. Like that's their form of connection. And that was kind of your form of connection, right? right? You would just line yourself up with this person. And so, oh, that means you were connected. That means you were in a relationship. Mm -hmm. That's what love meant was was being just, yeah, fully enmeshed with that other person's feelings at any particular moment or wants and needs or desires. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as long as it was felt as though I was being successful with that, then I would be have moments of feeling fine. You know, I had to jump through the hoops to be okay with the fact that I wasn't honoring myself at all, Mm -hmm. obviously. But yeah, it's like, okay, well, this person has wants and needs. I can just, I'll just do that. And when I think about the, the sort, the relationship I had with the disordered individual that wasn't abusive, it was kind of similar, although that guy had more of a dependence as opposed to, you know, narcissism or, or like demanding that I behave this way. But we kind of were enmeshed. Both of us were enmeshed. Although I guess, really, I don't know, maybe the narcissists were enmeshed in their own way in those relationships, too. They relied on my behaviors to feel good about themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. In that episode on dependency and codependency and interdependency, we talked about how narcissism seems to be a dependent personality mm-hmm. disorder as well. So we came up with this lens through which to see relationships and to kind of analyze our relationship and, and analyze what interdependence could look like. And uh, we're, we're calling it the you-me-us lens. Mm-hmm. With the idea that in a healthy, sustaining, interdependent relationship, there there's going to be three entities that need to be cared for. You, me, and the relationship, which is we're calling us, the us in it. And by healthy, I guess what I'm saying is a relationship in which we both feel secure and connected and cared for. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, yeah, and and it has a much better chance of of actually sustaining without crumbling. So that would be part of the feeling secure. Yes, is that we don't feel that at any moment it could it could crumble. And then we have the added dimension is that we. Part of our connection is an intimate and sexual connection that we would like to maintain. But I think that the you, me, us framework can work for relationships that are, that are not sexually intimate relationships as yeah, well. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's a good thing to keep in mind with any relationship, even just casual relationships, really. Who am I in this equation? Who are they? And what is this relationship that we have here? Even if it's just like a co-working relationship or anything. And what, what do I need from this relationship? What does the other person need from the relationship? And then, then what does the relationship itself need in order to fulfill those, the desires and the needs of, and the expectations of, of us both? And how do we negotiate that? Well, so if there are three entities, yeah, you mean us, that means there's going to have to be knowledge and understanding of all of those three entities. Yes. So self-knowledge, knowledge of the other, and the knowledge of the relationship. That first one, self-knowledge, is, I guess, the one that everyone has to start with. And that's the one that you struggled with. Yeah, I mean, it was really challenging. I I couldn't get to the other pieces, really, without that. 
And so even when we started, it was, yeah, our relationship wasn't going to be sustainable for that reason. I didn't know what I was bringing, who I was really enough. So how am I going to negotiate a relationship? How am I going to negotiate an us? And then also just because of my fear and shame and all of that, that was kind of driving my behaviors. It was difficult for me to focus on the you also. Because it's just like, what's going on with myself? I'm constantly trying to protect myself while also not actually protecting myself because I don't know what I'm trying to protect, really. You mentioned honoring yourself earlier. You would, I think, because you felt powerless in relationships, your behavior would, was driven mostly by protecting yourself rather than honoring yourself. Yes, true, right. And at least that was my goal, and that's what I thought I was doing, even though I wasn't. All these codependent behaviors, just lining myself up is, okay, First of all, it's dishonest and it's not honoring myself. But second of all, it's not keeping me safe if I'm lining up to a crappy person. So even if you had an awareness, which I'm sure you did occasionally, yes. what, what your own needs and wants and desires were mm -hmm. for your life, you would often suppress that or feel very yes. uncomfortable expressing it and certainly not feel comfortable honoring it if it meant either challenging the other person or, God forbid, leaving the relationship. Yeah, right. Yeah, there was way too much fear there. Yeah, I remember at the most when I did have a clear idea of something that I wanted or needed, it would often come out with the word wish. Oh, you know, I wish I had this. I think we've talked about this in a previous episode. But but yeah, I mean, that's like kind of the, the, the best I could do to say, but, you know, oh, well, I can't have that. So, so be it. And I think this is what people are talking about when they talk about that you have to kind of do work on yourself and you have to love yourself before you enter in a relationship. Mm -hmm. You have to know yourself before you enter in a relationship, which I think is good advice. Yeah. One challenge being that a great way to learn about yourself is to be in relationships wherever. Yes. Interacting with other people, it's very hard to just go off into the desert and just <laughs> figure out who you are Yeah. because a lot of who we are is about who we are with others. Yes, in relation to others. I mean, especially when we're talking about codependent behaviors. That, that's an interpersonal relationship pattern. So yeah, if I'm just trying to figure this out on my own, how am I going to, who am I going to bounce it off? How do I know I'm even being codependent or not? So you don't have to have perfect self-knowledge to go into a relationship. You don't have to anywhere close to that. But you, I think you do absolutely need a commitment to yourself. Yes. And a commitment to knowing yourself. And if you should discover things about yourself in that relationship in terms of what you not want or need or expect or desire, that you honor those things. Yes, you honor that. Or if in my case, also, if I find something that is a behavior that I don't agree with, that actually isn't doesn't represent me, like the codependent behaviors, once that started to become clear, it's like, well, I'm just codependent. Oh, well, no, I wanted to change those behaviors because that doesn't fit me. It Not just for the sake of our relationship, but for the sake of myself, I don't want to be something that I don't agree with that doesn't feel right yeah so like you said it's not like everyone needs to enter his relationship with this perfect knowledge of themselves but just yeah with a growth mindset just just wanting to make sure that they are honoring themselves so yeah i mean the me piece also includes in addition to the self-awareness and the, this kind of understanding of who i am and what i want and desire because otherwise how am i going to know what to ask for and expect and out of the relationship and and also the types of people that i gravitate to that i want to have relationships with. Also, if I don't know what that is, then what am I getting into? And then stuff like, what are my emotional limitations? Like, once again, like, I don't have to be perfect, but I have to at least know, have a general idea of what some of my limitations might be and how I respond to that, what I do with that. So trauma triggers being a big one. I still get them. It's in a much more minor than, than I used to, but it's my responsibility to 
to know how to handle that, at least to some extent. Which is not to say that you can't communicate to me what's happening and ask for my help. That was perfectly fine. That's very different than, say, the behaviors of the narcissists, which also might have been about their trauma being yes. triggered. Oh, I think so. But yeah. there, the expectation was that it was the other person's responsibility to manage that emotions, that the other person was to, to blame if they felt bad, or it was expectations on the other person. That's very different than being triggered, recognizing that you're being triggered, doing some work yourself to figure out if it's appropriate or not, and then communicating that yes. respectfully to your partner and asking for that partner's help. That's The latter part is what you do now. Yes, yes. And, and you say do now, because yeah, I didn't before I understood the trauma trigger. So to some extent, I handled it similarly as the narcissist did when, it, when I was fully triggered and went into freeze. And oftentimes there were bad behaviors there because I'm trying to protect myself. I'm fully on, I'm, my empathy's gone. It's like you don't exist all of a sudden and I'm like in this primal protect myself mode. You'll say anything to get out of the shame that you're feeling, including if it's, if it's something hurtful to me. So there's the me and then there's the you the part. Yeah. And what that looks like, I think we've talked about this in other episodes for us, is curiosity, maintaining curiosity about the other person that they are going through a discovery process themselves and they're going to be learning about themselves and changing and mm -hmm. growing. So... There's always something new to be learned about your partner as well as yourself. And so I think that that curiosity, that sense of the otherness of the person, keeping that alive, respecting that otherness helps maintain this intimate connection because it's going to keep you always wanting to know. Right. To just keep in mind that we are separate people with separate emotions and thoughts and experiences. And no matter how well we think we know each other, there's always going to be more to know because there's I, I'm always going to find more to know about myself. And yeah, I like the idea of keep in mind that we can use some help with that exchange. That's what intimacy is. So I'm going to do a better job of getting to myself if someone else is asking me some questions and trying to <clears throat> help me get to the truth and vice versa. And then there's the us part. And you had a, a nice analogy for thinking about what the us is. Yeah, when you and when we did the episode on boundaries, I really loved how you introduced the concept of boundaries as thinking about it from a physical that's just a, a much easier place to start okay we have separate bodies yes we're right. so therefore we're separate people and we have autonomy over those bodies yes. so i love just thinking of boundaries as such a basic form of just like yes we have i have a right to myself you know i'm an autonomous individual and then with the us now we have this kind of shared version of it and i was thinking the physical example is kind of a, a great way to start with that too so what what do we have that's shared well often we have a home like say if you live with a partner that's almost like that same kind of shared physical space instead of it's each of our bodies it's it's the home that we live in and that we need to feel safe in and protect i, th I think that's really nice because then we can say the relationship is is the place that that we're creating together in which we both feel at home in you want to feel at home in the relationship and then so you can think about well what do you need to feel safe in your home? What do you need to feel safe in your relationship? And then be responsible to each other, since it's a shared home, yeah. in communicating that. And, and, and again, yeah, it makes it nice and kind of concrete. <laughs> what is this somewhat abstract? So decisions that you need to be make is who's responsible for what tasks to take care of this home that is your relationship. What other people or types of people do you let in? Mm -hmm. into your home how are they allowed to interact 
in your home? What are their expectations of them? So that, you know, this would include, for instance, if you're in a monogamous sexual relationship, how are you expecting other people to interact with the two of you as, as a relationship? Yeah. And so this, this is a little different than the boundaries that we have with the individuals, because that's a little more cut and dry. It's just, you know, I have autonomy over my body, over my time, over my money, whatever it is, and you have yours. Mm -hmm. And then now we have the shared thing. And we, so we still have our individual boundaries. Yep. But now we have to kind of create this new set of boundaries that we have to communicate on. I mean, that people don't, obviously, and, and there's a lot of implied boundaries a lot of times. But I think it works a lot better. It's a lot more sustainable when those boundaries are actually communicated. And, you know, it's funny because people don't communicate often very well about when they start to share a home. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> right. In terms of, again, there's, there's now you have this kind of shared enterprise. You have this shared fate. And the, to the extent that you can feel comfortable in your own home, there needs to be some communication. Both of you need to know what that looks like for you. I mean, so yeah, just in terms of who's going to be cleaning up and what level of cleanliness and who pays the bills and who looks out after the outside. I mean, a lot of that often isn't talked about. Right. True. Until there's a problem or something. Right? Or, until, yeah, or until it's too late. Yeah, until you're, it's already, too late. you're already in this. You've thrown your hat into with someone and and yeah. they're a slob and, and you're a neat freak and it, it's and or they you know invite their annoying best friend over who spends every night at, at, in your home and that's yeah, the right. that you want so yeah or their family's over every weekend or something and so yeah so now there's 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 three sets of boundaries <laughs> we don't give up our own autonomy when we enter into a relationship as you said we still have absolute right over our own bodies our time our emotions, our sexuality. Mm -hmm. But now there's this third entity <laughs> that we're both responsible for that also has to have its own boundaries and work going into understanding the relationship. I really love the image of thinking about the relationship as this third entity like that because it, it kind of has its own rights. Like if you want, if you value this relationship and you want it to sustain and thrive, yeah. That's a great way to think about it. And so that's the level often where a lot of the negotiation comes in and mm -hmm. the communication and the, and the honesty yeah. and the empathy, all of which kind of are necessary because, like you're saying, you care about the relationship. You don't just care about the other person. You also care about the relationship that's supposed to be sustaining for both of you and be sustained by both of you. Right. And this is, like you said, this is where the work comes in. What you hope is that both individuals are bringing something to this negotiation. And, and one, say, a codependent person isn't just kind of going, all right, sounds good. I'm going with that. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, we're saying that you have to bring something. Like all those three entities have equal weight. It's kind of a three-legged stool. It's not going to be secure unless there's a stable, well-articulated, well-respected you, a stable, mm -hmm. well-articulated, well-respected me, and a stable, well-articulated, well-respected That's another great us. image. Yeah, because I, I like the idea of thinking, so say if one person is doing all the work on that third leg, it's going to be half strength. It's going to be very unstable and not sustainable or not sustaining for, for the people in it. Like we mentioned with the, the me and the you, I think it's also valuable to have this growth mindset in mind with the relationship too. So like we're we're both trying to renegotiate things, make things evolve, adapt as we need to, to to various things together. 
Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense because if you have two people, if you have a three-legged stool and two of those type of growth mindset and are growing and changing, that third one has to as well. So yes. the the relationship that you go into, that you make these commitments to, it's unrealistic to think that's going to be exact the blueprint of the relationship for the rest of your life, right? Right. Because that's presuming that neither of the people in that relationship grow and change and, and need different things. So again, all three of those things. So if there's a growth mindset in the individual, there needs to be a growth mindset about the relationship, a continuing curiosity, not just about the other person, but what the kind of relationship that it would be best for both of you is at any particular time. And that's going to grow and change over time. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we've between the two of us, we've had recurring conversations like this to where we have pretty much the same conversation, maybe six months, a year after we had it previously. And it's a little different. You know, we have new ideas, new thoughts, and, and, and it just feels like each time we do that, it's not like we're solidifying this idea, but it's it's almost like we're strengthening our, our ability to adapt. Because the, the us part, the desire is for it to be a relationship, as we said, in which we both feel secure, connected, and cared for. And given that we're both separate, autonomous individuals that have different paths, and different presence and different futures, there's going to be need to be changes to what that us looks like mm-hmm. to make sure it's a space in which we both feel secure, connected, care for. It's a home for both of us, and we both feel at home in the relationship. So it's kind of nice now when we talk about our relationship or each other in, in relation to each other, we started to use this lens. So, you know, for instance, if you're talking about a boundary, is that a you boundary? Is that a me boundary or is that an us boundary? Yeah, yeah. Or if there's a need or expectation, what level is that? Is that coming from me? Is that coming from you? Or is that coming from this relationship? We need this relationship to deliver it. Yeah, and when I think about the boundaries in, in the us context, my brain starts to go spin off a little bit like it did in our previous discussion of boundaries where now suddenly it's like, oh, well, is this a boundary? Is that a boundary? Do you have a similar way of making this simple the idea of boundaries for us, um, as you did with the, the individual boundaries. What's an example of a of an us boundary that wouldn't be an individual boundary, you know, other than the house example? So boundaries are something that, that separate and define the end of one entity and yes. the beginning of another. It's not about controlling other people's behavior. It's about protecting that entity. So it could be a boundary about how you, both of you, expressed in the us language, want other people to interact with your relationship. So you could you could make a decision about, for instance, other sexual relationships and decide what your relationship needs is to either prohibit or invite certain kinds of sexual relationships with other people. Yeah, I mean, that's a great classic example, I think. Mm-hmm. Another one I just entered my mind was because I was thinking about when you said entities, I was thinking of companies. And that's kind of a similar thing. They have boundaries, some being like, uh, privacy. Yes, that is a good one. You could decide as as a couple that what your relationship needs is a certain type of privacy in which your things are not certain types of things are not disclosed outside the bounds of the relationship and certain things are not. Yeah, and that sounds like one that would need to be negotiated because as individuals one person may be more free with information than the other and just want to go off and tell their best friend everything about their partner when maybe their partner doesn't want that. Yeah, so you're certainly free as an autonomous individual to 
go off and conduct your life and have your own sense of privacy around it. But once you enter into a shared fate and you're caring for the shared entity that is this relationship, you put a boundary around that relationship in terms of you might behave differently with those private thoughts and feelings and experiences than you do in, in other relationships or in the rest in the, in the rest of your in interpersonal life. So those are some examples yeah. of, you know, thinking of well, where's this, where does this boundary sit? Does it sit just with this relationship because it's to care of the relationship or is it just, does it sit with me because this is where my own sense of privacy or sexual fidelity, etc. People will often say relationships take work, which I think is sometimes confusing for people. It was for me. It often feels like what they're really saying is relationships are hard and you just have to stay in them. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And then so lots of kind of bad behavior can be covered up by, well, you know, relationships take work, you know, which means just like, oh, well, you have to compromise and you have to put up with stuff. <laughs> yeah, you don't you decide to, you wouldn't negotiate to, but yeah, the work isn't, like you're saying, yeah, it's not just going, well, we got to always compromise on everything. So this is some of the discussions we've had and it's figuring out well, what is the actual work of relationships. And this is what we've come to is this kind of shared management is, is the work of relationship. And these discussions about what I need and want and desire, what you need and want and desire, and then what our relationship needs and wants and desire in order to be the type of relationship that we both want and choose. Yeah, and that's enough work alone, right? And 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 this this negotiation and renegotiation of what these boundaries might be along along the road. And what kind of care needs to go in the relationship and who's doing it. And it it doesn't ever have to, you know, it doesn't have to be equal. We've talked about it before, right. but it needs to be balanced, right? I mean, again, mm -hmm. the the three-legged stool. The work that's being done has to has to be done on all three, on all three entities, there has to be, I have to be doing work, you have to be doing work. There's work that needs to be put into care and maintaining the relationship and the connection. And we're not always going to be doing that equally. And sometimes one of us is going to need more help or sometimes one of us is going to have more or less to give, but it has to kind of over the long haul <laughs> balance out. Yeah, I would think, you know, I mean, it, 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 at the very least, it needs to be understood and discussed between the two people. Yeah. And I want to say something about betrayal as well. Ah, uh, okay. Because there are three entities. That means there are three possibilities for betrayal. And there's often a tendency to be kind of reductive in conversations about betrayal and relationships. So that the one that really people almost exclusively talk about is cheating on someone sexually. That's that's the it's ultimate like the betrayal, right? That's right. the only one that everyone agrees on and stuff but there, there are many ways that betrayal happens in a relationship. And you can betray the other person, absolutely. But you can also betray yourself and you can betray the relationship. Right. And there's many different ways of cheating. You can cheat yourself out of experiences. You can cheat the other person out of experiences or knowledge that they should have or choices that should be theirs. And then you can cheat the relationship. If there's justification, well, it doesn't really hurt the other person. It doesn't involve the other person. Well, but does it involve the relationship? Yes. Does it break down the connection? Is it going to be degrade the relationship's capacity to provide safety and connectedness and care to both of you? So in, in a previous episode, we talked about how Jay cheated on you, but that didn't even actually come off as much of a betrayal. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. The it, person who was betraying you in that relationship the most was, was you. Yes, I agree. 
Yes, right. And that's why I felt constant shame and then in turn tried to avoid the shame. Because, yeah, we mentioned that just because it was just part of the story and an example of, you know, this narcissistic abuse. But, yeah, ultimately it was it actually didn't affect me all that much at the time. And at the time I just thought, why? Wow. okay, I guess I'm not a jealous person or something. But it didn't affect me because I didn't care about her. I was and I was already betraying myself. Right. So there was nothing new here. And there was no real relationship to betray either. Yes, exactly right. There was not an entity that was providing a sense of security, <laughs> connectedness, and, and care. It was a legless stool. So part of the reason bringing up betrayal is because I think it, it, it emphasizes, again, a point you were making earlier in terms of our responsibility to ourselves. Yeah, there's three sets of responsibilities. We have responsibility to the other person, which I, I think is primary, the primary one that the codependency <laughs> behaviors are oriented towards. Right. But we have a responsibility to ourselves and we have a responsibility to this relationship that is supposed to be a home for both people. Yes. And I think it was, it's a challenge for a lot of people to have all those, all three of those things in mind. It really is. And it's, it's helped me a lot to add another layer. Reminds me of, of, of one of the layers I did when I first started th this writing about all this stuff where I was like kind of thinking of the, what were my behaviors how were other people affected? How would I put myself in their shoes? I, I guess I like threes, although you came up with this one. Um, but when I think about <clears throat> something that I'm doing or something that I've done to think about it in that way, was this true to me? How did it affect you? And was it in the best interest of this unit? That is us. Yeah, the us. I, lo I love having that in mind. I hope other people also found it helpful. Yes. Yeah. And thanks again to all of you who have signed up for the Patreon page. And uh, we'll be, of course, posting the notes for this episode on on there so you can read a little more expanded thoughts. Yes, we appreciate your support. And we always appreciate hearing from everyone as well to you or, or to the world. And we hope you'll join us next time. Thank you. Thank you.